verses this morning, Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5. It says this, but when the set time, turn to your neighbor and say set time. Now do it like a charismatic, set time. time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption. Oh, it doesn't stop there, folks but adoption to sonship. I love that Paul puts that at the end, right? It's kind of like adoption is great, like understanding that we've been redeemed and adopted, but we're just, we, God just doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just stop with bringing us into his family. He stops at making us part of his family. Adoption to sonship. Last Sunday, we chatted a bit about the birth of Christ and how the story, in part, in part, guys, it's something full scope of what the story means, but how it's meant to give us hope, hope in the faithfulness of God. Um, not a kind of cross my finger kind of hope, you know that kind of hope, right? I'm hoping right now, I said this last Sunday, that the Pats win one more Super Bowl. I think this is uh, Tom Brady's last year. Wah, wah. And if it's not his last year, it's probably his last good year. He's kind of, uh, he's kind of crossing the threshold. I think he's 42. Hey, get off the 40-year-olds, okay? He still has an arm like no other in the league in the NFL. And so I'm, I'm hoping. I got my fingers crossed that Tom Brady and his boys win one more Super Bowl before retirement. But, but this isn't that kind of hope. This is not a cross-my-finger kind of hope. This is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of hope. This is not a hope that even ends in disappointment, really, right? It's a hope that yet sometimes seems delayed, right, when it comes to the promises of God. But even though it seems delayed, um, it is sure to happen. And, and, and the birth of Christ, for many, seemed to be very delayed, um, meaning there is probably in uh, most people's minds and hearts the desire for Jesus to come sooner than he did. But nevertheless, this was God's timing we're talking about. Paul speaks of it, and he says at the right time. Other translations of that verse says, um, uh, I'm sorry, the set time. Other translations of this verse says the right time. So at the right time or the set time is when God sent his son to the world to redeem it and to take us Gentiles, so to speak, and, and place us in his family by adopting us, but not just stopping there, making us fully part as sons and daughters of his family. So at the right time, God did this. You ever notice this about God? He seems to just do things when he wants, right? He, he has a timing, right? I mean, certainly we see this in the Bible. Like, at the right time, God opened the Red Sea, right? Uh, and, and, and allowed uh, his children, Israel, to pass through. Meanwhile, while they're passing through, it kind of collapses on Pharaoh and his army. You know, God could have brought an end to that power struggle at any time, but here the children are, of Israel are sitting at this massive body of water, and you got to be thinking with them, like, God, what are you going to do next, and are you going to do anything? You know, sometimes uh, we have a way of getting on the children of Israel, and they're kind of, they're complaining. But I, I like to say that if I was, like, caught in some of the predicaments that they were in, I probably would be, like, similar and kind of emotional and, and, and kind of, like, you know, the things I would say, kind of like when they said, Moses, have you let us out here to die? I could picture myself saying that, right? These were, th- this was one of those moments. They're at the Red Sea, and... You're thinking, what next, God? I mean, there's Pharaoh's army. They're either going to kill us or imprison us again and make us their slaves. What are you going to do? Moses, have you 
led us out here to die. But at the right time, come on, talk to me, y'all. At the right time, God opens the Red Sea. At the right time, God opened the womb of Sarah. It's funny, I don't want to get too hung up on the story, but at first when the angel came to Sarah and Abraham about the news of uh, them conceiving a child, they chuckled. They didn't even give God timing to see if he would work a miracle in the womb of Sarah. They just kind of like, that's funny. Um, do you know how old she is? I mean, you know, and they came up with creative means to kind of, uh, you know, force the promise of God and kind of bring it, you know, uh, uh, into fruition on their own. And we all know the story. God most certainly did open her womb, but at, or in, I should say, his timing. And then we have a story that I love of Lazarus, right? Lazarus is dead. Jesus knows that. He is going to see the family in whom he loved and whom he held dear. And he's kind of accused by Martha to be slow, right? Uh, you know, she, she almost somewhat holds Jesus responsible for the death of her brother Lazarus, right? That's in verse 21 of the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. But yet, God, Jesus, excuse me, had a, a kind of different perspective about this. This was unto something else than just, just, or just mainly Lazarus being raised from the dead. This was unto or for the glory of God. That was what Jesus said. He's like, Martha, listen, this is unto something else, and that is the, this is unto something else, excuse me, and that is the glory of my Father. So Jesus came to Lazarus' house at the right time. Turn to your neighbor and say, right time. Come on, say it like a charismatic, right time. So Jesus saw it differently than the way Martha saw it. And there are countless other stories in the Bible that remind us that what seems to be delay in our minds often is God just waiting for the perfect time. Because he will bring us to the end of the rope if it means he can get the glory and receive the glory. I mean, he can bring you right to the very edge of a circumstance where you feel like, what is going to happen? Just so he can get the glory, the right time. Paul describes the timing of Jesus' arrival as the right time in Galatians chapter 4. It may not have been the timing that God's people preferred, um, meaning it may have made more sense for Jesus to come earlier, right? I mean, maybe before they were to suffer at the hands of the Greeks and the Roman Empire, right? Maybe that was a better time, a more fitting time for a Savior to come and deliver his people again. But nevertheless, Jesus saw the timing that he came as the right time. You know, nevertheless, guys, God sets times, he sets dates, he sets even the settings. And even the setting that Jesus was born into, God chose all these things. You can't help but see that in uh, the gospel story of Jesus' birth. It got, got me started thinking about God's timing, right? Like, how does it feel like, I mean, uh, the way it makes us feel sometimes Knowing that God is going to come through, but it doesn't necessarily come through at the most opportune time, you know, certainly not the time that we would prefer. Anybody here can, can bear witness to that, you know? It's like you, you, you have this, this feeling in your gut that, oh, I know you're going to come through, God. But man, if it was just yesterday or last week or last month, you can, man, that would be my preferred time. But God, he doesn't operate like that, right? And this got me thinking about Psalms 31, where David the psalmist says that our times, right, 
are in God's hand. The psalmist said, meaning, for me anyways, or what David meant for, to me anyways, in saying this in Psalms 31, is that my days in my ways. Somebody say, my days. Come on, say it like a charismatic. My days in my ways are in the hands of God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? I take David to mean both his good times and bad times. It's funny, because in the same verse, most likely in the same breath, David says, God, rescue me from my enemies. I imagine that David is not talking about the best of times, you know, when things are just, you know, good. He's talking about both good and bad times. Is there, is there anyone here at church today uh, that, that could say, yeah, I, I, I feel like my life is kind of surrounded by trouble. Do you know that David, if you actually look at the Psalms, the, the, the majority of Psalms is David in trouble. <laughs> like some kind of trouble, either outward trouble, inward trouble, you know, some struggle of his heart, some army he's trying to, you know, uh, uh, um, conquer. These uh, always seems to be surrounded with trouble. Bit of drama. He's a drama queen. But is there anyone here that can relate to that? Come on, even, even Advent, in, even in this season of Christmas and Advent, is there anyone here this morning that could be honest at church and say, yeah, things aren't going as well as I'd like them to go. Anyone, anyone here? Is there any honest people at church this morning that can say, yeah, I've hit a rough, rough patch. Feels like I got drama all around me. Is there anyone here, you know? Is there anyone here that might be broke? You know, you broke as a joke. You know, you can't even afford, uh, you know, uh, you can't even buy food off the dollar menu at McDonald's. You're so broke. You know, is there anybody here just feels like nobody likes you, you know? Am I the only one? No, am I the only one? No, but you, you just, you, is there anyone here, you got family drama, right? You got, you got marital drama, you know, you got trouble in your marriage. Anybody? Anybody? I can, I, can, I can say I got some struggles and some trouble. Anybody have some internal troubles, like some struggles of the heart? Anybody here this morning? Anybody here this morning? You know, you're not who you want to be, where you want to be, and who you want to be with? Any kind of trouble like that? Don't get on me, couples. You know, sometimes you'd be, you'd be like turning your head on your bed and be like, what did I do? <laughs> What did I get myself into? Yeah, okay, anybody, any, by the grace of God, right, your marriage still exists, right? But sometimes you'd be, you'd be giving glances, your spouse would be like, no, no. <laughs> All right, yeah, moving on. Can I get a big amen, though? Anybody got some trouble in their life? Well, you're in a good place. My point is this, guys. It doesn't matter if you're on the mountaintop of success this morning or in the valley of despair. It does not matter if you feel at the top of your game or swallowed up by the game. All right? It, it doesn't matter if you have a six-figure income or you are trying to make ends meet by working at McDonald's. Okay? Your days, your ways, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between are in the hands of God. It doesn't matter if you feel stuck in a moment of hopelessness. Or you may be stuck in a moment you never want to end. This pendulum swings both ways. At the right time, guys, God 
will change things. Rather, if you become impatient, listen to me this morning, or comfortable. Listen to me. Don't let that go. I'm not just talking about bad times. I'm talking about people who get caught up in the good too so much. It blinds you to actually enjoying God. You never want things to change. Therefore, you found more enjoyment in life and blessing and favor than you found in God. God will change it if you allow him. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. God will change until what remains is you cherishing him as your supreme treasure in life. So at the right time, a savior is born. Again, it may not have been the perfect timing for those who are waiting, but it was God's time and it was right in his eyes to come at that time, which leads me to my next point, which is this. What was God waiting um, all that time for? Why, why didn't he come at a more opportune time uh, for uh, his people? And, and uh, you know, honestly, it went even further. The wound went even further. Not only did you have the delay, but when he came, he wasn't exactly what they wanted. It's like a double whammy of letdown. Wah, wah. God takes all that time to do this. And this is where I want to get creative with this message. God takes all this time to do this, to make this kind of announcement. Essentially, God opens the first massive adoption agency and, and, and uses Jesus' life as the purchase, purchasing power, excuse me, needed to fund his vision for mass adoptions of every tribe, tongue, color, and race. That's what Paul says. This is God's end game. Let's read the, the, the text one more time in Galatians chapter 4, uh, uh, 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You know, have you ever wanted something bad <laughs> that you would do anything to get it? I wanted my wife bad in, in, in a bad way. Now, some of you may laugh, but it took me a good 14 years to convince her to marry me. I don't know what blinded her. I am the man. And, you know... Let's just put that out there. But I wanted her so bad, fellas, you know what I'm talking about. I went to great lengths to getting her. And this is what God does with his children. He goes to great lengths here to open up an adoption agency, bringing in his children of every color, every tongue, every tribe, and every race, and making them his children. And, and I, I can't help but approach this season in kind of cleaving in a way and, and holding on to that precious truth that God the Father went to great lengths to purchase me, to purchase you, and that he gave his beloved son some of us can barely give anything at all, but our own children, oh my goodness, God empties heaven of the darling of heaven. The rose of Sharon comes as a man born of a woman 
in a stable, in a trough. Wrap your mind around that for a second. Oh, the humility of God is beautiful. He goes to great lengths. We all know what it's like to go to great lengths for something that we really want. You see, given the background of Galatians chapter 4, the people there previously uh, were pagans. And uh, the Galatians would have understood what it meant to be subject to certain ceremonial procedures, right, and and principles that had to do with their paganism. And and given that Jews were under the law at the time, right, until Jesus came uh, and fully matured and, and died on the cross, they were also subjected in some sense to ceremonial procedures, weren't they? In any case, this created a slave-like condition, a mentality within God's people's hearts that were more like God was a taskmaster, master, excuse me, and they were just his workers. And God didn't see that to be a fitting uh, arrangement, a, a relationship that he wanted with his people. This is good news. You know, let me, let me ask this question, and please don't answer it because it would just be awkward, but think about it. Have you, have you ever felt stuck in a situation where you feel trapped um, or imprisoned, like there's no hope, there's no help for your situation at all? Um, and some of you are probably thinking, yeah, my college loans. Uh, and that, that is exactly what I'm talking about. So just hold tight to that thought, because, you know, some of us, you know, debt is a powerful thing. And and, 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 and this is a, a specific kind of debt. This is more than just owing, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars of, 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 of a college loan. This is your very souls being purchased by God. Me and my son, we, from time to time, have this little thing where we, um, he, he's, he kind of like buried his Legos for a little while. Huge Lego guy back in like his... I would say four or five kind of uh, time, and um, huge, I mean, his room is just ungodly. Um, we went too far, we, I mean, we, you got to preach to us about materialism. Uh, his room just personifies um, our struggle um, with Lego materialism, and so, uh, you know, he's got Lego everywhere, and, and you know, he just, he, he kind of buried it for like a year or so, and now he's like rediscovered it, and he's really into it, and so, you know, you know Abram, he, he, he's an only child, and I, I, you know, as a dad, I, I want to be the older brother. Sometimes my wife is not fond of that. But sometimes, you know, him being an older child, you kind of get, get on your knees and play with him. And so I, I don't mind. I actually kind of like Legos. We build kind of guys. Sometimes I'll do like the whole uh, Marvel Infinity characters. I'll have Tony Stark and Thor and you know, he's creative. He's far more creative than me. He'll come up with, like, you know, Tony Stark's head, Batman's cape, uh, a, a sword from Lord of the Rings, you know, hair from Thor. I mean, he's just crazy, but he's wild. He's got an imagination. But anyways, from time to time, I got I to gotta get on the floor and play some Legos with him. And so we did this Monday, and um, I, I call my, my strategy for this type of Lego play uh, Lego imprisonment. You see, I'm a humble kind of man, and so... Uh, and he's not so humble. Pray for him. We're, we're believing the Lord to intervene in his life and to save his heart. But, um, you know, you could see, you know, the, the humility that I possessed opposed, uh, or compared to the humility that he obviously was missing, um, where he had a huge army. We're talking 80 to 75, maybe, 
uh, guys. He had this base um, that was, you know, it was huge. It did this, this, this camp where he kind of like he positioned his guys. And I just took seven guys. I'm like, Jesus, give me my 12. So I took like the Joker. I made some other guys. And I was like, hey, like we don't have a base. You know, I'm like, we can't afford it. We kind of travel around and rob things and steal from, you know, whatever. So um, I did have the Creflo dollar jet, though. I'm sorry for that. I did have this awesome uh, kind of airliner. I I don't even know how to explain it, but that's where I've kind of pushed, you know, the envelope, so to speak. And so I I call this, I I knew that in this game, I could not beat him. Like, he could have showed up with all his guys and totally just, you know, went to battle with me, and I would have lost. So what I started doing was... um, Stealing his guys, okay? But it was all part of the game, right? So we, you know, I would draw him into conversation. So he would send, you know, like 12 guys of his over to my camp, and, and, and he would start shooting off his mouth and, you know, taunting, you know, trying to get me into battling with him. And I'm just like, I'm like, no, I'm just going to talk your ear off. And at the right time, I'm going to reach in like a ninja, grab your guy, and then teleport them to another dimension, now, I didn't say this at first, but this was my strategy. I was like, I'm going to get your guys down so low that by the time we go to battle, it's going to be a fair fight. All right? So I just start snatching up guys, snatching them up, snatching them up. And he is getting angry at this time. And, 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 and there was a point we won't want to push the story, but he started crying. He started showing real emotion. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just trying to be your friend. I'm just trying to be the older brother. Like, what's wrong with you? I mean, he could eat totally. It's, it's a good thing we don't have a sibling because it wouldn't go well. You know, Abram's like, hey, so Abram, we were thinking about adoption. He's like, no, I, I, I kind of like my space. I like being alone. I like the size of my Christmas. My, But anyways, um, you know, he started getting frustrated and, and you know, I, I kept it up and and I was thinking, well, at least until I kind of even the, even the playing field a little bit. And so um, he, he's, he's a creative uh, guy, as I talked about earlier. You know, he's, he's got a good uh, knowledge of the streets, Abram does. He's got a, uh, a keen sense for the gangster life, so to speak. Um, uh, he did uh, what only comes natural with uh, people with those kind of instincts. He started gathering up a bunch of Lego money. So there's like these green little Lego money. If you don't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Once you have kids, you'll know. Um, and, 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 and kind of like these little Lego gold coins. And he started rallying. He got a treasure and everything. And started like, I mean, it was so cool. He even had like this golden king's hat. It was really cool. So he, his, his idea was, I will go buy my guys back. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And of course, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're wheeling and dealing. Um, I'm trying to make the best deals. I like the I like the golden hat, so I'm like, I want that for Joker. Take his green hair off, put that golden hat, make him a king. I'm thinking this is good, this is good. And so he 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 got done, and he realized that at, at one point I had too many guys for him to kind of afford. He kind of couldn't find any more dollar bills and couldn't find any more um, any more golden coins. And that's when he really lost it right in front of the fireplace. <laughs> He's cried and. And I stuck to my guns. I'm, I, I, got, I got this evil side of me that where, like, seeing children cry doesn't just, it doesn't, t- no, I'm just kidding. Um, but my wife was there. She's like, Daryl! And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. So being the humble dad that I am, I, I, I kind of came to my senses, kind of snapped out of, 
you know, Lego mode and, and pulled a get out of jail free card so that all of his guys could go. Needless to say, he was feeling at the time the weight of, um, of trying to um, afford um, ransoming his, his Lego guys. And I said that all just to say this. Debt is a scary thing, right? It really is. I mean, and, and firsthand, I mean, we're not even talking about reality. We're not even working with money, guys. We're working with plastic little toys. And I saw the pressure of what Abram was feeling in that moment. I was like, it's, it's a, kind of a, a, a good analogy of how sometimes debt can feel for us. But what I want us to feel today is this was a debt, uh, meaning snapping back now to the scriptures, like no other debt, friends. This wasn't a debt that you get in when you buy your first house. This isn't credit card debt. It's not that kind. This isn't Lego pressure. This is your soul, my soul, being purchased. I just want to let that thought sink in. We talked last Sunday about losing sight of the preciousness of our salvation. And I went as far as to close out last Sunday's service with, with, with talking about the greatest danger facing the church. And, and, and I, I really do feel that the church is in a weird place right now where we have become a little familiar, overly familiar, with what actually was done for us. And what an appropriate time to not just wait to Easter, to be filled with those thoughts and those imaginations again of what was done for us, but here now in Advent, remembering in the birth of Christ, what, what started there. And it's almost like these, these, these things should fuel our faith. Really, really. Every Sunday, for me, I, I, I want it to be a celebration. I, I don't want it to be a funeral. I, I, I don't want to have to uh, be convinced to love God. You know, Sunday after Sunday, I don't want to be convinced to obey God. I want to willingly do these things. Why? Because, well, primarily I'm moved by a story. I'm moved in the fact that he has purchased my soul. I was without hope, and now I got tons of hope. I got a truckload of hope. And I'm bringing that hope with me until Jesus comes. So be it far from me that if I come into a service or any kind of atmosphere where the name of Jesus is being lifted high and I'm down in the dumps, oh, I got an, friends, you got an everlasting hope living inside of you. You don't need a big bank account. You don't need a big house and a white picket fence. You don't need degrees if you get them, fine. But what you need is to realize that which was purchased for you and me and savor it every moment. You see, the law of God's people had them feeling trapped and cornered, and they were performing certain procedures. It's kind of like Abram with his treasure, and he came to the realization, I don't have enough, and now I'm overwhelmed. And I did what the father did. Son! I forgive you, you're dead. Take your guys back. Let's turn in closing to Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17. This is the expansion of the idea that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 4. This idea that God has taken us from slaves to sons, and I'm not just using that sons to kind of 
you know, single out dudes. I'm, I'm, this, this, we're children. This, this is all that word means. We're children of God, both sons and daughters. And so Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17 says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is profound. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. (laughs) Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Paul urges that all who are what? Led by the Spirit of God are his children. They are sons and daughters of God. Earlier in this letter, Paul wrote that through faith in Christ, we were freed from slavery to sin in that we became slaves to righteousness. This is Romans chapter 6, 18 and, and Romans chapter 6, 22. The word used here for slaves um, describes um, what was once uh, an indentured kind of service in which a person felt uh, a certain kind of allegiance you know, to their master. And here Paul assures us that God does not view us as slaves now. But he, he, he views us not even as good servants. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he serves me well. He doesn't, God doesn't have that view of us anymore. God looks at us as his children. As his children. So God did not give us a spirit of slavery by giving us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the spirit of adoption as his children. Slaves often lived in fear of their masters. Hence Paul's words in chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is not the relationship God wanted with us. In other words, God legally changed our status simply by faith in Christ alone, from slaves to children. Oh, let us, let us be reminded of this truth this morning, Father, that, that we are not slaves, we are not even good servants, but we are children, sons and daughters of God. You know, I just, I have this gnawing feeling in my heart that, that our, our relationship with God has to go past just the good times and the bad times. Our relationship with God has to go beyond um, what we have or what we don't have, what we feel we need but don't have. It seems as though sometimes in the church, our kind of lot or our kind of way of approaching of God, of God is extremely conditional. Yeah, I, I, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, sometimes I feel like my, my worship, my adoring of Jesus has nothing to do with just, you know, appreciating and loving and adoring Christ because of the cross, adoring Christ because of his birth, adoring Christ because he purchased me and made me a child of God. Uh, Sometimes uh, those aren't 
necessarily the things that fuel my worship. And therefore, my worship and, and, and my praise and my loving God becomes conditional. It becomes, it becomes conditional to circumstances, meaning if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a, a bad month, a bad year, then I, I lose a sense of adoring Christ as I should. But you know what, 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 what creates within our hearts a praise that does, is not necessarily conditional to seasons and times, circumstances and situations, is, is preserving in our hearts the preciousness of our salvation. I don't, I don't need another prophetic word. I don't, I, don't, I don't need somebody coming up and encouraging me to have a good day and to bless God. I, I got some of the best news and hope living inside of me. I, I was once without hope. Now I have hope spilling over, everlasting hope. I, I'm not even worried if, if, if I, my life ends or if I die. Matter of fact, sometimes, oh, I long that I would die to be with him. Uh, but I don't need those things to make my worship and my adoring of Jesus conditional. I don't need those things. You know, sometimes... I was just thinking today, I, I, in worship, I was sweating. I'm like, I'm not even leading. Like, what's going on? Like, I was sweating just as bad as if I was on the microphone, dancing around, acting like a fool. But, but, but see, I don't need to be in front of crowds. I, I, I have something inside of me that is eternally grateful that when I come into church, when I come into any setting where the name of Christ is being lifted, I, I, I don't care if I had the worst week, worst month or worst year, I can bless them, I can dance, I can cut up this floor, I can scream and lift my hands and shout about the greatness and the goodness of God. And those things are not because of conditions. Those things are because I have learned to cherish preciousness of my salvation. It doesn't take Easter and Advent to be reminded of these things. Matter of fact, I, I, would, I would think that God would prefer more for us than just waiting for a month of the year, but that we would, we would come in after December, you know, after April with the same resolve, God, you are good. You have given me so much hope, maybe not in this world, but in a kingdom and in a world that is to come. Worship team, could you come? You can clap. It's all right. It's a safe place to. My hope for us in December here as we, you know, observe Advent is that we would turn a corner as a church, turn a corner as a family, that we would be able to not necessarily make our worship and our adoring of Christ conditional, but that there would be an ongoing from month to month, day to day, living hope, living inside of us that would actually fuel everything that we do as a community. Even Sunday mornings when we, I mean, be it far from us that we can't lift our hands, lift our voices and clap and lift the name of Jesus just because we had a bad week. You hear what I'm saying? And so my hope this year and, and, and going into next is that we would become a people who are not just uh, conditional Christians, meaning we 
we, if, if, if everything goes as well, then God, you have my heart, but we would be a nevertheless God. You are a good kind of people. You have already done so much for us, and if you never do another thing, there is so much that you've already done. You understand what I'm saying? Church, stand to your feet. Can we close this service off with some extravagant worship? Can we do that? I got one person that's with me. Can we, can we, I'm not trying to repeat last Sunday. As a matter of fact, I don't care if you're with me or not. I'll go in as a one-man army if it means that Jesus is lifted high. So, but could we, could we close today out this morning and just celebrating Jesus? I'm sorry to do this worship team. I don't know if you have a song, but I'm going to act like a raging fool no matter what you do. So you could sing Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya and I will cut up a rug, okay? Church, let's bless the name of Jesus.